You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night. And Father, we thank you for the prophetic word that, that, you, that this generation wants to see you in a more powerful, demonstrable way than any other generation before it. And I believe that's your heart, your will. And Father, as we open your word, may we just go just a little further into that prophecy. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I will let you know I am very excited about your generation. I think you do have uh, the tools the calling, the anointing to be the most powerful generation ever. I mean, we never had the power that you guys had at, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old and all that wonderful stuff. We didn't have the resources you have and the things you have. So you should do more because you've been given more. Amen. And we didn't have the deliverance and we didn't have the intense worship. We didn't have Christian music. I mean, I remember when Amy Grant came out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So you guys are like so far ahead. So God should expect more from you. But uh, in light of that, you'll probably have to do some things better than we did to be better than we were. Does that just make practical sense? Okay, now some of you don't know who I am. I'm Dr. Doug Weiss. I'm the executive counselor, executive director of Heart Heart Counseling Center. And like David said, all those wonderful things. And we've been on Oprah, Good Morning America. We've had two movies made about what we do. God wants to heal the culture and the church. And I'm very excited about that. Okay, now I want to take a step into one enemy, you absolutely have to do better than we did if you're going to be better than we were. We're going to call this message Killing Jezebel. Okay? And I love killing her. She's my favorite thing to kill. Everywhere I go across the world or country, I get to kill her. And she screams and yells, but it's really fun to watch. Okay? So I want to show you an Old Testament Jezebel. We'll go to a New Testament Jezebel. And then we're going to walk through how do we actually implement this process in our lives, okay? It'll be very practical, okay? You can talk back to me and say yes and amen and stuff like that. I'm a counselor, so if you're quiet the whole time, I think you're depressed. Okay? All right, so let's go. We're going to start this journey in 1 Kings 21, 3 through 7. And it's just a cute little story uh, to kind of set this up, okay? 1 Kings... 21. Okay. And while you've got your finger there, you can go ahead and put your finger just a few chapters ahead into 2 Kings chapter 9. Okay? Now, let's start. Now, I'm going to read you a bunch of scripture for about the first several minutes of our conversation tonight. Okay. Now, this is a story about Naboth. Naboth was the king of Israel. Okay? And he was having... Um, I'm sorry, Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was talking to Nahab in verse 2, okay? He was, it was involving a vineyard. Let's go to verse 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. He's the good guy in the story, okay? The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Israel. King of Samaria, I'm sorry. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And then there's a lot to be said there, but we're not going to cover that. So Ahab went home sullen and angry 
because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, it's interesting, he doesn't mention the Lord. Because Naboth said, may the Lord forbid, but, you know, the king didn't get that piece, okay? So he lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. Now, get the picture here. This is a king. And he is whining and moaning because he didn't get his way. Anyone ever can relate to that? No, 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 you guys are too spiritual for that, I know. She won't go out with me and all that stuff. You never whine about that. But, but he's whining and complaining and he's moaning. Okay, so he's sulking. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. I think it went something like that. Okay. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now, and she does go about that. She sets it up and gets Naboth killed and the story and all that. But here is the spirit and the very essence of this Jezebel spirit. It says to you and to I, You can have what God has not given you. that I'll get that for you. The devil will come into a young man's life and say, oh, if she won't go out with you, I'll give you a fantasy world. You can do it that way. Or you can go on the internet and pretend that someone else loves you. Or you can have this secret life of communication or things like that. You can go to MySpace. There's no such thing as MySpace. There's only God's space. Okay? But no, 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 you can go there. You can be alone. You can do what you want to do. You can have what God hasn't established for you. Did y'all get this? Okay. It's a very seductive spirit. You know, you might lust after someone else's ministry or calling or anointing. Okay? Oh, I want to be like them. They're so gifted. They worship so wonderful. God may not have given you that type of inheritance. Now, inheritance is critical to understand because you only get what God wants you to have. That's an inheritance. Does that make sense? But Jezebel says, no, God isn't fair. I'll get you more or different or better than what God has established for you. This is, you get the seductiveness of this? Okay, so now, so the story goes on and, you know, all of that happens. I want to take you to the next part of this story because what happens is God establishes a Jezebel killer. And he is, he is hot, okay? Let's, this is one of my favorite stories. It's got, it has the, one of the funniest scriptures in the whole Bible we're going to get to, hopefully. Okay, so let me just go through in chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9, okay? I'm not going to read this section to you because we've got a lot to cover tonight. But sometime read this, and it's basically the anointing of Jehu. Now, Jehu is a general, okay? He's a killer. He is a hired killer. He's your Navy SEAL guy in Israel. If you want someone killed, Jehu's the guy you hire, okay? So he would be our action you know, figure hero type guy. So he goes around killing people. So God decides to anoint him king by sending a prophet into, into his little um, command post. And, and this little prophet comes and says, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. Come here, come here, come here. Now imagine, here's this gentleman hanging out and he's doing his thing. And these guys, all these big muscle guys are hanging around and talking about who they killed the last week. Oh, you only killed 15 and all that kind of stuff, right? So they're hanging around and just kind of, but this, this, this little weenie kind of prophet guy is probably there. And he's saying, hey, come on, come on, come on. And so he, he 
Okay, goes in, and then the prophet pours oil on top of him and says, you are anointed king of Israel, and you are to kill everyone in Ahab's family. So he walks out of there. Now, you've got to get this picture. Okay, he's a military guy. He's got oil dripping all over his face. Okay, and so he walks back out and tries to continue to eat his meal, and the, and the guys are like, well, what's up? And he's trying to be cool, like, well, what do you mean, what's up? You know, and I'm, I'm sure they're thinking, like, you got oil all over your head. Okay, what did the prophet say? Because they believed, what did the prophet say? And he tried to blow him off, but he eventually told him. Uh, he told me, I'm anointed king of Israel, and I'm to kill all of Ahab's. And then they got, they, got, they, got, they got really jazzed, because now they're like buds to the king. So this is really great. So then, here's what happens. Okay, so he starts killing off people. And so it comes into the part of the story where he starts heading for Jezebel. Okay, in verse 30. Then Je Jehu, that is such a cool name, Jehu went to Jezreel. When Je Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out of the window. Now, get this. Okay, he already killed some pretty significant people in Ahab's family. She knew he was on assignment to kill her. And so what did she do? She didn't run. She didn't try to scurry off. She got herself all pretty. Because, see, she's never met a man she couldn't seduce. But, see, military men are kind of different. See, he was on order by God to kill her. So he didn't really care what she looked like. She was supposed to die. You see, so you got to get the spirit of this guy. It's like, well, you're on my list to die. It's not, I don't really care what you look like. Okay? But she's like getting her all self prettied up. Okay? Now, we'll get into that later. But Okay, so Jehud entered the gate. Okay? And she asked, have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? She already knew what was up. He looked up at the window and called out, Who is on my side? Who? That's a very, that, is, that is the question of the Spirit of God in America. Who's on my side? Who's going to really follow me? Who's going to really do purity? Who's going to really walk in the authority of Christ? Who's going to walk in the manifestation of His glory? Who's going to do this? This question is still echoing in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Okay, so who's on my side? Two or three eunuchs look down at him. Okay, now this is... This is precious. Now, you all know what a eunuch is, right? He's a guy without equipment. Okay? And so Jezebel doesn't really have a lot of stronghold over them either. There's no hope of being tempted by Jezebel when you've got no equipment. Okay? So you've got a military guy on one side, and you've got the guys up upstairs with no equipment. So this is really a funny picture. So he's crying up to them saying, who's on my side? And they all knew that he was anointed by now. They already knew that he was on assignment, okay? So he looked, <laughs> two or three eunuchs looked down at him, throw her down, Jehu said. This is a pretty high tower. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered the wall, and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. This is a great gory story. Here's this beautiful chick. I mean, she's hot. She's, you know, Angelo Jolie, all dressed up, right? She, and she's getting thrown down this tower, and her blood's just splattering all over. And then her body hits the ground, and these horses are trampling her to death. It's a great story. <laughs> but there's only one way to deal with Jezebel, and that's to kill her. You can't play with her on the Internet. 
You can't act like her. You can't dress like her. You can't think like her. You have to kill her. Amen? This is one of those stories where the swords come out and people die. I love this story. This is one of those guy sections of the Bible. I'm sorry, ladies, okay? But, so she's getting trampled. And this is one of my favorite verses right here. Jehu went in and ate and drank. This is a guy. Okay, he just killed the queen. She's getting trampled outside. She's probably maybe even still screaming. He's going in there and he's, he's hungry. He goes in and he eats. Okay? Because, see, he was on assignment. He was anointed to kill her. She didn't matter. She needed to be dead. That was it. That was God's command. Amen? So he went in and he ate and drank. Okay, and then he said, Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. And they went back to Jehu and said, This is the word of the Lord. Then he spoke through his servant Elijah, the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot at Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. See, God doesn't want any remnants of this woman in our lives. Y'all get this? Okay? So if you're going to do better than us, if you're going to reach more lost, if you're going to prophesy more clear, if you're going to be more anointed, if you're going to have more power on earth, you've got to kill this woman. Amen? Now you are the generation that can do it. You are anointed to kill her. But I tell you what, she's grown. See, in my generation, she used was Playboy and Penthouse and little porn magazines like that. In your generation, she's on your cell phone. See, 90, 90, over 85% of your internet is pure pornography. Billions of dollars a month transfer into the porn industry. I don't know if you know this, but the porn industry is bigger than all of the media put together. All newspapers, all magazines, all television stations, all movies put together do not equal the porn industry. She's grown. Our generation failed. The generation before me failed. The church has failed. Because they didn't kill her when she showed up in a little baby form with Hugh Hefner. Now we've got a real whore that's laying down with all nations. And she's got to die in us to be successful. Are you all with me so far? Okay, now, and I'm sorry if this is a little violent for you, you know, but you know, God, God has a commandment about this because see, her spirit is basically to say, no, you can have what God hasn't said. Let's go to Exodus 20, 17, just for a moment. You all familiar with Exodus 20? What's Exodus 20? Hey, we got a Bible student in the back. It's the Ten Commandments. Who wrote those? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you're awake. There's just a few people over here on the left that are awake. Okay, God wrote those. It's, the, it's one of the few places in the Bible that he actually took out his own pen and wrote something very specific. Now, a lot of us are familiar with Ten Commandments. Okay, but I want to read the last one. Now, I grew up on King James, so I like to say, Thou shalt not, there was Charlton Heston, who you don't know who he is, and all that. But this, this was a really cool movie a long time ago, okay? Now, it's like, you shall not, or thou shalt not covet, and depending on your translation, it'll say, covet, lust, evilly desire, your neighbor's house. You shall not covet, or lust, or evilly desire your neighbor's wife. Okay, and by the way, Jesus clarified who's your neighbor in the future, didn't he? Who's your neighbor? 
every woman who walks, every man who walks, your neighbor. Okay? All right. Are his manservants or manservants, those are his employees. Are his ox or donkey. I hope you're not struggling with donkey lust tonight. Okay? Or anything. This was, this, is for the, this was for the future. Or anything. Large screen TVs, iPod phones, you know, any, any of that. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And I see how God's message is different than Jezebel's message. God says, basically, enjoy your inheritance. But don't lust after another's. Her message is, you can have it all. You can have theirs. You can have the different. Now, we need to kill her. I want to show you why you want to kill her. There is something so important on the line when you kill her. And this is why the sex thing has gotten so big in your generation. Why I believe you're the most violent, uh, I think you're the line of, Juba, uh, line of Judah generation, is because the enemy has upped the ante on sex. Okay, hasn't he? Yeah. Some of, you don't think so? I think so. Many of you could pull out your phone right now and get, get on the internet and see pornography. <laughs> we had to go steal it when I was a kid. Do you know what I'm saying? It's definitely moved up. So let's go to Revelations chapter 2. I want to show you what's at stake for your life and why the enemy wants your sex. There's three people. There's, 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 there's two battles here going on for your sex. One is the devil wants your sex, but there's a reason he wants it, and we're going to explore that in just a few minutes. He wants it so bad because he knows if he can get your sex, he can get something from you that you're not aware of. Now, God wants your sex. Everyone say, God wants my sex. Some of you are so... Let's try that again, shall we? Some of you went, he does? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He wants your sex. Everyone say, God wants my sex. God wants my sex. He wants it for sure. Absolutely, he does. Okay, if you have not been told about that, there is a full body salvation. It includes your genitals. All right, I wasn't planning to go here, but let's go ahead and do this. Just keep your finger in Revelations. We're going to do a little Bible study, okay? Jeez. Okay, let's go to, let's go to Romans, because you, you're looking at me like, I've never read that. Are you sure? i got two degrees in Bible, okay? I'm sure. But let me read it to you. Therefore I urge you, brothers or sisters, however you interpret that, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your genitals as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, if your genitals aren't turned over to God, you can't worship. Because your genitals are part of your body, right? How many of you got genitals that are disconnected? No, they're part of your body. If you do, don't raise your hand. I mean, they, okay? Because everyone's going to go, really? Okay, no, your genitals are part of your body, which is part of your sacrifice unto God. See, Americans separate sexuality from their spirituality. That is, that is what the devil wants you to believe, that they are not one unit. Are you all with me now? Okay. How many of you now believe God wants your sex? It's right there in the Bible, okay? And there's more I could teach on that, but we're not going to do that tonight. How many of you learned something so far? Praise God. Some of you are going to go have to have an offering tonight. Jesus, I just give you this. Because maybe he's not Lord of that yet. Let me tell you, you want him to be Lord of your sex. You want him to be Lord of your sex. 
If he doesn't say yes, you don't say yes. And trust me, he doesn't say yes until you're married. You did not shout me down. This, that was a good word right there. Oh, no, no, I'm gonna, I want to manage it myself. Listen, anything you manage is going to be death. Okay? Trust me. Now, you, some of you don't know who, who I am and what I do, but actually, uh, of those 20 books I've written, 12 of them had to do with sexual addiction. People fly from all over the country and world every week to come see me and my staff because they didn't turn their sex over to God. And now they've got 20 and 30 and 40 years of pain and death and suffering because of that one choice. One man was in my office this last week. He was, 60, he was in his late 50s, lived in another state. He didn't turn his sexuality over to God. He, met, he was a Christian. He, he got married to a Christian woman. Okay? He was out having sex with men his whole marriage. He now has AIDS. And he's going to have to divorce his wife because she can live financially because his AIDS is going to wipe them out financially. Because he didn't turn his sex over to God when he was your age. This was in my office this week. Now you know why I hate this woman. And I love killing her before she grows. That's why I came here. Amen? All right, so you, you should... Next time I do this, there has to be a camera like back here and so we can watch your faces on the big screen because it's hysterical. Okay, let's go to Revelations now. Now we're done with that Bible study. Revelations chapter 2, verse 20. And all the way, okay, let's, I'm going to read you several verses. They're, they're hard verses, but we're going to get to something very powerful in a few minutes. Now, how many of you have red letter Bibles? Many of you. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Now, let me just tell you which Jesus is speaking here. This is the post-resurrection, I died for your sins, I own you, Jesus. This is no longer the Lamb of God. This is the one who was the Lamb of God, who is now the Lion of Judah, ruler of all heaven and earth. Everything is placed under his feet, Jesus. Amen? Now, how many of you know, when you die for somebody... You have a little bit of attitude. I died for you. How many of your mom and dads had a little attitude just because they gave you they gave you life? I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Right? They have a little attitude, right? Of all the suffering and sacrifices they did for you. And they can let you know any moment, can't they? Yes. You're at that age where they still remind you, don't they? Yeah, okay. That'll stop eventually. All right, now, verse 20. Now, he's talking to the church of Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate. Everyone say the word tolerate. See, God is patient, but he is not tolerant. You need to understand that about him. He's patient as the day is long, but he is not tolerant. The same things that ticked him off in the Old Testament tick him off today. And sex is one of those things that takes them off. Do you get that? Okay. How many of you, you have parents, right? You still, they're still kind of in your life. How many of you know if you figure out what ticks off your dad, your life goes better? Okay. How many of you, like, would every once in a while try to just push that a little bit to see if he still kind of gets ticked off at that? And what was your, what was your education in that process? Because dads generally don't change. Okay? 
You might work your mom a little bit, but your dad doesn't change. God's the same way. He never changed. He's same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? We like that when we're talking about some things. But when we're talking about other things, we're like, whoa, he didn't change? No, he still doesn't want you to have sex until you're married. He hasn't changed on that one. Will you please say amen just so I know that you're actually <laughs> awake, okay? Now, so this is going to take us a while to go through this. Now, tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. So here's a New Testament Jezebel. This is a different woman. This woman is in the church. She's a Sunday school teacher. She's a cell group leader. Right? And she's probably in a full gospel church because you don't get called prophetess in the Baptist church. You know what I'm saying? And I've got some degrees from Baptist, so I'm okay with Baptist. But I'm going to say, they don't never call you prophetess in the Baptist church, or Methodist, or, Pres- or several other churches. So this is a full gospel, spirit-filled, power church. Okay, so that's where she is. Okay? Now, by her teaching, she misleads my servants. Now, who would that be? That'd be local church. Members of local church. Into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So she was basically saying, you know what? Come on to church, worship Jesus, read the Bible. That's all great. That's wonderful. That's nice. But you can still sleep with me. You can still have sex with yourself. You can fantasize about anybody you want to. You can go on the internet and pretend to be somebody else. You can just have a good old sex time. You can have indiscretion and sex with each other. That's okay. Everyone's doing it. It's fine. That's what she was teaching in church. Now, doesn't that spirit sound very familiar to the one we just talked about? It's the same spirit that says, you can have a different inheritance. You can have what God has already said no to. Isn't that the first? That's the original sin, right? God says, don't eat. And the devil says, well, he didn't really mean it. No, he means it. <laughs> I sure wish they would have listened to that one, right? Okay, so what happened here, this woman saying to church members, you can, you can sleep around. Your sex is yours, don't worry about it. She had a gospel that went like this. Jesus and whatever you want to do with your sex life. That's the American gospel. How many of you have heard sermons on sex? I mean, a couple of you, right? I never did. Okay? So that's, the, that's, that's that thing. Now, let's see what God thinks about this. I have given her time to repent, because he is patient, of her immorality. But she is unwilling. Now, how many of you know unwilling is probably not the best disposition when you're facing God? Okay, unwilling is bad. Here's what happens when you become unwilling in any area of your life, okay? It's really important. See, here you are. Here's the hand of God. Now, when you become unwilling and you move away, it gives him a bigger arc to hit you with. And I've seen God spank men. This church has been through some spanking. God is no respecter of persons. He didn't care who you are, what you do. You could be a pastor, you could be a missionary, you could be a businessman, you could be famous and glorious. He'll spank you if you're immoral eventually. And unwilling is what really gets you spanked. Repentant people, I see all the time. They don't get spanked. Unwilling gets spanked. Okay? So I will. Everyone say the word I will. I will. 
Now, if God says he will, will he? Yes, he will. So he says this, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. How many want to sign up for a bed of suffering? Especially made for you by the God of the universe. He wants to hurt you. How many know that when God wants to hurt you, he knows how to hurt you? Yeah? How many of you have been spanked a little bit by God so far? Okay, that means you're his kid. If you haven't been spanked, you probably, you're not probably in, in the family. He tends to spank family. Right? Okay? So I will cast her in a bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her way. So God promises suffering to the sexually immoral. Suffering. I see it every week in my office. Suffering. Grown men crying and weeping over what they've done. Weeping over the children they've lost. The pain they've lost. The companies they've lost. Every week. This is real. Suffering. I will strike her children dead. Now, how many of you think God's kind of ticked right now? So if... But this is Jesus. This is the one on the cross, Jesus. This is the one who laid his hand. Don't let the little children... Don't let them come to me, Jesus. I'm going to kill her kids. Because of the mama, I'm going to kill her kids. And this is in the New Testament. So do you think sexual morality ticks God off in the New Testament? Oh, yeah, buddy. Okay, especially for family members. Okay? So then, let's continue. I told you these are hard verses. Aren't these hard? Man, I didn't think God was that mad in the New Testament. I thought he was, like, warm and fuzzy all the time. Uh, At the beginning, he's warm and fuzzy. Then he starts trying to make you like him. And if you get in the way, it hurts. Just trust me on that one. Okay, I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts, the minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, because there were good people in church, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Now I thought that this was Jezebel's teaching. That was right out of the pit of hell. This is Satan 101. Give up your sex. Satan, 101. You know, the devil doesn't wear a pitchfork and a little outfit with horns. He's got a boob job and a skirt. Okay? That's Satan, 101. Okay? That's just the way it is. All right? Okay, Satan's so-called deep secrets. I'll not impose any of the burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. I read all of this painful stuff for you to get one thing, and it's in this verse. Okay? To him or her who overcomes and does my will to the end. Everyone say, I will. I will give authority over the nations. I'll give authority over the nations. How many of you like to have authority over nations? The word of God promises you authority over nations. See, that is the DNA of the spirit of God. He wants us to have authority over nations. See, what the devil wants in Your life right now is to get your sex so you forfeit your authority. You see the game? See, now, you might not know this, but he knows it. And he knows, maybe I can't stop him. But see, one of his 
Satan's so simple. You go back to the Old Testament, you see Satan's uh, plan all over the place. See, the Israels were, Israelites were marching through the land. They're wiping out one thing after another, after another, after another. So this king gets upset because they're coming his way. So he hires the prophet of Israel, Balaam, right? And he says, come over here and curse Israel. I'll pay you whatever you want, just curse them. Because they're unstoppable. So what does Balaam do? Remember the story? He goes up, he says, I bless Israel. <laughs> and the king gets upset because he's paying big money for this, for this uh, happening. And so, does it again, goes up, I bless Israel. Okay? Goes up another time. Okay, so finally, the king's getting really ticked at this process. He's saying, you know what? I'm paying you to curse Israel. And Balaam's like, you know, I can't curse them because God's blessed them. Then there's this interesting line. But, go send your women down to the camp of Israel and let them intermarry with them. And then God will judge them. So you can't beat them straight up. You got to get them to become immoral so that God will then whoop them. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, see now here's what's at stake. You already by the Spirit of God have the DNA of authority over nations. Now you got to understand this really chaps the devil. Just for a moment, imagine the situation the devil finds himself in today. Okay, who was he? Who was the devil before he fell? He was Lucifer. But he wasn't just an angel. He was the chief worship angel. Everybody in heaven knew who he was. He was glorious in every way. When he, when he bellowed out the praises of God, they felt the power and glory. He walked anywhere, and they knew who he was. He was always given the finest locations of seating. He was deferred to in most situations because he was one of the greatest archangels there are. Right? Then he gets thrown down to this time ball, dirt ball, called earth and then God decides to give some little kid in Colorado who can't even figure out how to get dressed on a winter day more authority than he possesses and if this little snot-nosed kid that says in the name of Jesus bow down Lucifer would have to bow do you get how ticked he is how much he hates you how much he wants you to defer your authority to him. And sex is a pathway. Y'all get this. Okay? So if you want to be better than our generation, you want to be stronger, you want to have more glory, more salvation, you want to be the generation that pierces the darkness, you've got to be sexually pure. You can't have a special fantasy life, masturbation life. Okay? You can't be going off in, into the internet world and thinking you're just dipping there, forgive me Jesus thing. Get an accountability partner and get that straightened out now because that thing will grow. James 1.15, first lust, then sin, then death. That, you can't stop that process. Okay, you have to repent of it at the seed stage. <laughs> if you keep watering the seed, it grows into what it's supposed to become. Lust becomes death, DNA. Does that make sense? Okay, now I'm not here to do all that teaching, but I want you to understand what's at stake is your authority. So... How many of you would like to have that authority? 
It may take you 25 years to get it. It may take you 30 years to get it. How many of you still want it? You may have to suffer for it a little bit. How many of you still want it? See, there's some people you don't have to have it. You're kind of like, well, you know, if it comes to me, great. It doesn't come to people like that. Those are the easy ones to pick off. See, you got to, got to, got to have it. Do you know what I'm saying? Which means you pick what boys and girls you go out with. You set yourself up for success, not failure. Because you will be telling your sex testimony 20 years from now. <laughs> How many would like to have a good one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? Because the generation that follows you is going to be more sexual than you are. So to minister to them, you're going to have to tell them about you. That make sense? Okay. Now, a seed doesn't grow instantaneously. You have the DNA of this authority inside of you. And it may take 10, 15, 30 years for you to get authority. All right. Now, I'm not just uh, blowing smoke at you. Okay. Um, let's see. We've been on almost every major television show you can imagine. It was on Fox just a few weeks ago. We have our own TV show called Winning at Marriage. It's aired all over the world, 50 nations. Okay. I didn't pay a dime to have that. God gave it to me. I go all over the country and world, and wherever I go, people get set free because I'm of authority over the nations. doesn't matter if I'm in England or Canada. I was in Canada just a couple of weeks ago, and we did Promise Keepers up there. We got a few more of them this year, and guys will get set free. Not because of me, because of the Spirit of God that's in me that has matured over 25 years now. He's given me authority over nations. Are you all with me? Okay. So I want you to get a vision for that so that when you're in the backseat of a car, you fight for that. You're not fighting whether you feel good or not. You're fighting for who's going to be saved and go to hell because of your purity or not purity. You are so quiet tonight. Okay, I thought you guys were rowdy and young and you're going to yell me out. But does this make sense to you? Okay, I know it's not what you want to hear sometimes, but it's truth. Your sex matters a lot to God. Okay? Let's just walk through a couple cases of, of, of people who've been successful or unsuccessful. Okay? And then we'll get practical. Okay, those who lost the battle. Samson, strongest man in the word of God, slayed by sex. Totally wiped out, blinded, gouged. Right? So if it can take out the strongest man, it can take you out. Solomon, the smartest man in the scripture under Christ took out by sex. Many wives worshiping idols at the end of his life. Okay? I think after you get after a hundred wives, you should probably trigger in that you probably are gonna be in trouble. But he didn't, okay? So sex took him out of the game. Okay, so if the smartest man and the strongest man can be taken out by this one seed, you better pay attention to it. Amen? Okay. Now, let's look at some people who won the game of sex. Because I like hanging around winners, don't you? Okay, I do. Joseph. He ran from a female sex addict offering him sex anytime he wants from an older woman. And I'll take care of you, baby. I got money. I got power. I actually own your little self. You come over and please me. It'll all be okay. And he ran out of there. He actually got thrown in jail because he did the right thing. But he became the second most powerful man in the world of his day because his sex was pure. 
had he fallen, and, and let me tell you, you will be tested. And you'll be tested by a Christian. Jezebel's in the church. She's not out of the church. She's in the church. And she has male and female counterparts. You okay? Again, you kind of go quiet on me. Joseph won that battle. Daniel had no sexual impurity. Joshua, no sexual impurity. I love that guy. Okay? Jesus. You don't think Jesus was tempted? I think he was okay looking. He had a body like you would like want to have. He was a carpenter with no power tools. He was ripped from head to toe. He could walk miles a day in the Middle East. He had hair that probably shined. And when he smiled, the glory of God just showed up. You don't think there were some little Israelite girls wanting to get a hold of that boy? He was not only attractive to some degree, he was successful. He was pretty rich. He owned his dad's company. His brothers were his employees. He was running a business. He made so much money, he could go travel and preach without charging people. He was a catch. You don't think some girls went, hey, babe. I got something. I think he was tempted in all, all ways like you are. How about Mary? Had Mary given up her virginity, she would have disqualified herself from the calling of God, and God would have had to choose another woman. Her sex gave her her destiny. Amen? How about Queen Esther? Hadassah. My daughter's name, Hadassah Esther. Hadassah. She didn't give it up for anybody. And she was hot. I mean, when they took all of the worldly girls and they put them in the beauty contest of the nation, she shined. She was hot, head to toe hot. But she didn't give it up. And then she was made queen of the most powerful nation of the world. Sex is important to your destiny. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, talking about Hadassah, I'll talk about my daughter for a moment. I'm very blessed. Some of you know who she is. She did the crown a couple years ago, and, you know, lots of kids got saved. It was a beautiful thing, okay? So, but uh, Hadassah goes to CSCS Christian School here in Colorado Springs, and her health teacher went, and she was telling a story about what she did with her girls. And she told both of her girls that if they don't kiss a boy until they get out of high school, that she would give them like $500 or a few hundred, a few hundred dollars, something like that. And so my daughter, she's kind of interested in money and thought through that a little bit. And she's thinking, my dad makes a whole lot more money than that teacher. So she, she kind of cut to me. She said, Doug, she said, Dad, she says, this kind of happened to my health teacher. She goes, you know, what would you give me if I don't kiss a boy until I get out of high school? I said, that is a great question. That's the kind of question I want. That, that's a great question. I said, tell you what, I'll give you $1,000 for high school. I'll give you 5000 for college, and I'll give you 10000 on your wedding day if you wait. Because I know her sex is important to her destiny. And if she's not putting her tongue down someone's throat, she's probably not going to be all aroused and make mistakes. You all get this? So you just have to ask yourself, what's your sex worth? 
Is it really worth people getting saved 25 years from now? Is it? I'm asking you a question, people. Now, how about in the back? Is your sex worth people getting saved 25 years from now? These guys beat you. You're so lame. lame. Let's try that again. We'll go in the front first. How many of you, your sex is worth people getting saved, delivered, set free 25 years from now? All right, we'll give you back another shot at this. How many of you, your sex is worth people getting saved, delivered, and set free 25 years from now? All right, that's better. See now. But see, I want you to get this in your spirit. See, my daughter already has it in her spirit. See, some guy's going to come on her. My daughter, she's beautiful. Okay, some guy's going to come on her, and she's going to want to take her out. I pity this fool, really. (laughs) He's got got some mountain to climb. Okay, because he's going to try to do a move and, and try to give her... She's going to say, no, wait a minute, you can't kiss me. And he's going to say, well, why not? Because if you kiss me, she's in college, it's $5,000. It's it's, you got $5,000? My dad's putting up five. What do you got? <laughs> See? Okay, now, I just want to encourage you that. So we need to have a strategy to be successful, to kill Jezebel. Don't play with her. Don't flirt with her. Don't talk to her. Throw her down. Trample her. The only strategy for Jezebel is death. Okay? And Jehu had a little team. Okay? He had him. And he had a couple buddies up top. Okay? And and neither one of them were really motivated by sex. And they just threw her down. Okay? Now, it's a little harder sometimes because they didn't have all the toys and gadgets we have. So we've got to watch our television. What you're watching, what you're doing, what you're letting come into your mind. Now, I'll let you know. We do have... um, uh, Let me give you my... One of the websites we have, I'll just give you drdougweiss.com. D-R-D-O-U-G-W-E-I-S-S dot com. We have this thing called Clean Home Movies. It's a DVD player that you can go to Blockbuster, put your DVD player in, and it automatically takes out all nudity, profanity, blasphemy, and sex scenes. So you're, you know, so you're watching a movie, and you never see it. It never shows up. You know, you go, you go to the website, you download the filter for that movie, and boom, it's there. You never see it. We have one in our home. We love it. We don't hear curse words. We don't see sex scenes. We don't have any of that stuff. It is great. So that's something you can do around your entertainment, okay? Now, another thing is getting a, getting a porn blocker on your internet, okay? And you can also set up accountability features so that maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe David or someone else gets a report every month on where you're going on the internet, or, you know, maybe the dad of the girl you're dating or your next-door neighbor or someone who cares about you. But every, they would get a report everywhere you go on the Internet so that if you're going somewhere you shouldn't be going, you'll get some questions that you should be answering. She's a whore. The Internet's a whore. She's not playing around. She's about 85% pure pornography. Pure pornography. When you get the Internet, you've got a porn store that has extra features. That's what you bought with the Internet. You understand that, right? Okay, good. Because some of you have been exposed to that kind of stuff. So you want to do that. So then we also have this battleground called dating. Right? How many of you want to get married one day? Praise the Lord. How many of you like to have sex at some point in your life? Praise the Lord. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I'm glad. That was the most shout you gave all night. We should have started there. All right. Okay, now, I want to talk to you. Uh, about sex, just for a moment. We didn't do this one verse. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Let's go there for a moment. And then I want to lay out a few couple ideas. 
1 Corinthians 6.18. I want to show you how your brain is made for sex, and I want to give you some outlines for dating. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I want to show you just something from a scientific standpoint, okay, because I also write journal articles and stuff like that. So this is the way God made your brain for sex, and this is something the devil doesn't want you to know, but I think it'd be good for you to know, okay? Because here's your, here's your brain, okay? When you have sex, you actually get the highest level of endorphins and enkephalins. These are brain chemicals. hits the excitement center of your brain, called the medial proctor nucleus. Boom, you get this big chemical rush, four times stronger than morphine. Sex is pleasurable, okay? Whatever you're looking at, real or imaginary, so if you're into fantasy or pornography, you literally glue to, hunger for, crave, and will want again. Okay, most, most guys start off masturbating about 14 years old, and they masturbate all the way through, and they use pornography and fantasy, and so they've got a neural pathway connected to it, and then their wife is going to compete against that in the future. It's a really bad idea, okay? And uh, women are masturbating at your age higher than any other, woman, any other generation of women. If you're using fantasy or pornography, you're going to have the same reaction. You're going to glue to whatever you're looking at, okay? So if you think someone's cute and you start masturbating to them, you're going to find yourself interestingly attracted to them, okay? And that'll get you really in trouble, okay? So what can happen here is I want a, a couple of things. If a guy already is masturbating to, like, you know, uh, people on the Internet, pornography and stuff like that, well, then he's kind of already kind of cued in to some, some kind of things. So let me tell you, ladies, how to get the sickest guy in any church. How many of you like to get the bottom feeder guy in your local church? I mean, you want the guy who comes to church, but he's really a sleaze. He's going to cheat on you. He's going to lie on you. He's going to get you pregnant, and he's going to hurt your heart. He's going to damage you. He's not going to give you any money in a divorce, and you're going to have to go find another man 20 years after that. How, how many of you like to know how to do that? It's really simple. Dress like one of these. Go ahead and show it off. Here's how you can tell if you're trying to get sexual attention from other guys who are Christians at church. Before you walk out of your room, okay, because we're a full gospel church, lift your hands up like this, turn sideways, and then jump up and down. And if your boobs are flying all over the place, you're dressed inappropriately. And you're going to attract the sickest guys in the group. Somebody say amen. amen. See, I'm trying to tell you something. See, if you want the healthier guys, they're not going to be like... doing that okay so you want to be careful because that will attract the sick guys because their neural pathways att attached to women who treat themselves like objects so if you got to sell your body to get male attention that doesn't work you will get male attention but you'll get the bottom feeders and they all carry Bibles 50% of the church of men are sexually addicted 50% so you want to get the other half okay does that make sense? Guys, the same thing. If you're doing this, you're going to be attracted to the sickest girl who thinks so low of herself she's got to use her body to get sexual attention, so you're going to be attracted to her. So you're going to marry a woman with low self-esteem that may take you your whole life to, uh, well, it's painful to live with someone with low self-esteem. You keep trying to love them, they keep trying to push you away. You know, is this all helpful for you all? Okay, so now if you want to attract the other people, then you be a godly person, you'll find a godly person, keep seeking Jesus, and you both seek Jesus. But, ladies, when you start dating somebody, you ask about their masturbation, you ask about their pornography. Don't be foolish. Ask about it. 
I don't want to ask. Okay, suffer in pain. <laughs> Most of the women I meet were godly when they were 19, 20, 22, and 25 when they got married. And they married a sick guy, and they didn't know it because they didn't ask. Because we all look alike. You can't tell which, which is of our sick. Does that make sense, ladies? I'm trying to help you some wear and tear here. And if they, if they, like, don't answer you, then they're lying. Just move on. Okay? I've met 28 guys so far in America who've not masturbated. I speak to thousands and thousands of men every year. I haven't met a Canadian yet. Okay? Just, that's just free. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's, we got to be just honest about this. I want you to kill Jezebel. I want you to kill her in your future, okay? Now, so let's talk about dating. Obviously, we want to get married, but what process do we use? Do we use a process of no protection, no accountability? You know, most churches don't have a, a policy about dating. Most churches have a policy of don't ask, don't tell. We want to ask, you don't tell. We'll pretend that you're godly and doing everything right. You just don't tell us you're sleeping around and being, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And we won't ask you about it. That is the policy of the American church. Okay, so that means it puts the, the burden of responsibility for you to have an individual policy of what that process is going to look like. And I don't really have an agenda. I mean, dating, you choose the person, you choose the pace, you choose the boundaries, a little feedback, mostly alone time, courtship. There's more feedback. Uh, the pace is monitored more. Um, more social time. Now I'll give you my own hopes for this. One day I hope the church does create a policy so that when you come into the church, you're protected. And there's spiritual parents who will help you through that process. Now I, I, I think that it's really helpful for you to get spiritual parents, if, you're not, if you don't have your parents, if you don't want your parents involved, get spiritual parents who you run people by before, during dating. Because what you'll learn real quick is wolves don't want to be accountable to anybody. And if your man won't be accountable to another couple during dating, he's not going to be accountable to the church as a man. If your girl is not going to be accountable to a couple, she's not going to be accountable to you either. Know with me? So you get a couple, and so like suppose your name's Mary, and you're really cute and everything, and, and some guy comes up to you at Starbucks and says, hey, I'd like to get to know you better, here's my number. You say, well, here, let me give you a number. This is John and Joanne. They're my spiritual parents. You call them, and they'll tell me if you're acceptable for me to date. So now, he's got to go talk to them. Now I can tell you, a 40, 50, 60-year-old man looks at a 20-year-old man a lot differently than a 20-year-old woman looks at a 20-year-old man. We're not all impressed with his body or how cute he is. We want to know what's in his heart and who he is and what kind of man he is. So they'll ask him different questions. And then if they say yes, then you can, you can date him. And then about every two weeks, you come back and you are accountable. And they ask you, where's your hands? Where's your, tongue, where's your tongue been? Where's your hands been? How late you been out? Have you slept together? And they ask you this every other week so that you are safe. Because you would both have to covenant to lie to this couple if you make a mistake. Instead of, if you make a mistake, you're honest, you tell about it, they forgive you, they move through the process, and if it keep, the mistake keeps happening, they tell you to move on to another person. And you say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And you get, let them have the authority to help you through that process because your hormones and your emotional state and your neediness are so heightened that you could pick 
because of a quick opportunity as opposed to the right person. You're not shouting me down. No single group I ever talked to about this process shouts me down. But I can tell you, I've been talking about this for years now, and the people who've done it have thanked me so much. It's changed their life. Because now they don't feel the burden of having to make that decision every time some cute person comes on to them or give them the, you know, the little move, one way or the other. You know, the girl's like, you know, it gives you the, it's okay to talk to me thing. Okay, so it helps you either way with that. So that's something that you can do. Have an individual policy on what your dating is going to look like, uh, if you're going to have accountability, if you're not going to have accountability, because that is really critical if you're going to kill Jezebel. Okay, now let's talk about your, uh, your timeline here. This is free, by the way. You can take this with you. Okay, because I think you need to look at this. Because, see, the, the policy of singles is, well, accidents just happen. Oops. How'd that get there? Right? That's the general policy. Ask forgiveness later. Okay? Okay, so how long should I be in a relationship is your question here in the first column. And what do I think God thinks? Now, how many of you know God? You, you know him. Okay, so how many of you could get a feel for what he thinks about something if you asked him a direct question? Okay, good. So then you can go with God and sit through this. Okay, so what you do is have a little prayer time tonight and say, okay, God, how long do I need to be in a relationship so I start holding hands, you know, hugging on the side thing? How long until I do the front hug? Now, girls in church, don't give the front hugs and then kind of do this thing. Don't put your breast in their chest. That's rude. Ladies say amen, or I'm going to really start preaching. Okay? That's just rude. Okay? Laying next to each other, but fully clothed. How long should we be dating until we kind of do the, hey, let's just cuddle thing? How long should that be, by the way? What do you think? Week? Day? Month? When you're married? Oh, come on, don't lie to me. Okay? <laughs> Most of you aren't going to wait until you're married to do that. But see, I'm asking you to think, because see, if you don't think about this, then you can blame ignorance for not thinking through it. And you can say, I'm just ignorant. I didn't know. I didn't ask God, and so I don't know, so I didn't sin because I didn't know. How many of you know that's deception? Well, I didn't ask God if I should steal from the 7-Eleven, so I didn't sin. Even though it says, thou shalt not steal. And thou shalt not covet or lust or evilly desire another man's wife. So you're not allowed to lust after any man or any woman. That's the tenth commandment. You like this? This is fun, isn't it? Little kind of dating game. Okay? All right, so how, how long should I wait until I give her the little, you know, peck on the cheek kiss? What do y'all think? Weeks or months? Months? All right. You won't commit to anything. You should see what he said. Right? I don't want it on record before God that I said anything. I don't be held to that standard. You and God need to get, in, get a little agreement on this stuff. How long until I give her the, the lip peck kiss? Okay. A week we got in the front row. Okay. See, but that's my generation. That was my generation. Our generation was get as much as you can on the first date generation, and we've got whores for pastors. 
you better think about this because it will make determinations of what you get in the future for your spiritual leadership. And I see these guys in my office every month. I hate Jezebel. And I want you to hate her. We having fun tonight? All right, I just want you to get it straight. Anyone unclear about tonight so far? All right, good. All right, how about French kissing? How long should I wait till my tongue goes down her mouth? Oh, yeah, but some of you already kind of, you must be married. I'll tell you what, that tongue in the mouth is the key in the ignition. You do that thing, you are warming up the engine. And that could be defraudment. Because you're given a hope of a promise you can't fulfill. You arouse the other person, which is God's daughter or son, his favorite daughter or son, to the point of arousal. So they've got thoughts and images and desires that you've put in them. You better be careful. It's real easy. What would you do if Jesus was your date? Can you imagine dating Jesus and trying to slip him, slip him the tongue? All right, I just want to give you some imagery. How about being caressed in public, non-gentle? How about until you start grabbing their breasts and their, and their, and their, and their genitals? How long should you be dating until you grab genitals? See, I want you to write this down tonight. I want you to go home and have a time with Jesus and write it down so that when the temptation to grab someone's breast or bottom or genitals happens, you already have a commitment, and so it's too early, and so you can say, I can't have those yet. They are pretty, but I just can't have them. Looks fine, I just can't touch. But you could give me one of these and we can make it happen. See, but now, if you've got no boundaries, it's kind of like, well, when you cross them, then you just, well, oops. Right? How many singles, how many of you heard, now not you guys, but how many of you know other single people who have the oops model? You know, I went out last night, and oops. I, was, I went out to a Starbucks or some other place, and, and I met this person, and oops. I don't even know if they go to church. Oops. Right? Oops is real big with singles. Okay, genital touch. How much, how much until you start masturbating that person? How about until you masturbate them until they get to orgasm? How long should that be? Oh, you guys are going to kill me tonight. All right, how about until you give them oral sex? How long until you... How long? How many of you are like President Clinton, like oral sex doesn't count? Doesn't count. Now, that is one deceived man, ago, man there. President of the United States, so dumb he doesn't know that oral sex isn't sex. That's how dumb America is. You should be able to take it over if you're sexually pure. Because the other people are getting slayed by this demon. And they're getting dumber than a doornail. Y'all with me? All right, so you get, how about until we have intercourse or attempted, but we didn't have orgasm? How about repeated intercourse? See, you and God need to find out who owns your sex and you need to get this thing down in writing so that you can kill Jezebel. So that when she shows up, you're like my daughter. And she says, wait a minute. This is going to cost you something because my daddy already put up. Your daddy already put up. Your daddy put up his life. He was 
beaten and publicly humiliated for your sex life. And he demands it from you as an acceptable offering of worship. There's no sense coming here and raising your hands and praising God if your sex isn't committed to the cross. That's blasphemy. Now, I'm not talking that God isn't merciful. He'll love you through that process. He'll forgive you. He'll make you white as snow. Some of you aren't virgins. You can be white as snow and be made a virgin in Christ Jesus. He'll wipe it as far as east from west. There is no problem with that. But I'm talking about someone who continually acts out in sin and comes to church like Jezebel and raises her hands and says, it's okay to be immoral. That's not acceptable behavior. Amen? We read that, right? Was God happy with that performance? He killed her kids. Church kids. So y'all getting this? See, I really want you to be better than our generation. I want your pastors not to fall to morality. I don't want you to be a national disgrace. I don't want God to raise you up and then a stench follows your name. But you got to kill her. Now play with her. Kill her dead. She shows up, you kick her. She shows up again, you kick her again. You got to have accountability. See, a lot of people want to take on Jezebel by themselves. They want to do 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. I know I shouldn't have slept with her, but, you know, but please don't tell her parents. Don't tell anybody at, at the furnace. Man, just between me and you and me, Jesus. See, that's forgiveness, but it's not healing. Healing is James 5, 16. If I confess my faults one to another, I can be healed. And the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So the reverse of that is, Doug, if he has secrets and he keeps them to himself, he will be sick, that's the word of God, and his prayers won't reach the ceiling. So if you want healing, you've got to go to another brother or sister in Christ Jesus, because since the resurrection of Christ Jesus, healing is now in the body. See, once he rose from the dead, he didn't heal anybody. There was the two on the road to Damascus. There was the ten. There was the eleven. Then there was the five hundred. Five hundred people... There could have easily been a healing service with 500 people before medicine. He didn't heal one of them. Turn the page, Acts. Healing starts happening all over the place because body, the healing transferred from head to body. You want body? You've got to be in a face-to-face relationship with someone of the same gender talking about your dumb flesh stuff. And if you'll humble yourself and do that, he will raise you up. And if you won't, you'll be sick and ineffective. And this, good, this is good news. I'm giving you good news. Some of this stuff I didn't learn for a, a long time. I mean, I was in seminary. I was in seminary. Okay, that means I already got a four-year four degree in Bible. And I was sexually broken and sick. I was abused. I was addicted. I was uh, alcohol, drugs, sex. I was totally a mess when I came to Jesus. Sex addiction was still running my life in Bible school. I was in Bible school preach, uh, teaching, preaching the word, going to church uh, on Sunday. I was in the choir. I was in chapel five days a week. I was trying to serve God. I was fasting and praying, and I was sleeping around because I couldn't break it off my life. There were no tools. There was no information. There was no one telling you what to do. And I cried out to God to get free. I cried out. I cried out. And there was no freedom in sight for me. So I went to seminary. And here's what God told me to do. I'm getting a master's in divinity. And God told me I was in prayer. And he says, every time you masturbate, you tell your roommate. I'm like, God, are you crazy? There's a little guy about this big. He said, are you crazy? 
Now, I learned enough by the Spirit of God that when he told me to do something, do it whether I agreed or not. And let me tell you, learn that lesson really quick. When he says do it, just do it. Okay? So I said, all right. So I told Paul. Paul knew by then I heard the Lord regularly and, and that kind of stuff. So I said, Paul, I said, listen. Here's what God told me. <laughs> if I masturbate, I'm supposed to tell you. He's like, I was, I was bigger than him, so you couldn't argue. So he's like, okay, all right, great, all right. So the first time, man, I felt this big, because I, I, I had to keep my word. So I went, to, I went to him and said, listen, I screwed up. You know, I masturbated. I'm sorry, forgive me. And God started to heal me. Second time, after that, I started getting free. I mean, free. I was fully addicted. I'm a recovering sex addict. I've been sober for over 20 years. No self-behavior, no pornography, nothing outside my marriage. God has set me free. Okay? But he did it because I was confessing to my roommate when I was your age. So don't play the game that you can do this by yourself because that will guarantee you pain and shame. Be humble now while you're nobody. How many of you are somebody? You're somebody really big and important. How many, you know, if I, if I went to California, they would know who you were if I just mentioned your name. Most of you aren't. One day you might be, okay? And I know some of you are like from California, so like, hey, I'm cool with that, okay? But, but you know what I'm saying? Now's the time to be humble. Now's the time to be honest so that you can lay a foundation of humility and freedom so that in 10 years from now, you don't have to be embarrassed. Amen? Are you getting my heart on this tonight? I want you to be the most violent, powerful people God is on the earth. I want you to make this church so proud. I want you to make Jesus smile so big when he sees you coming. He just says, everybody, give him room. This is one of my special ones. They set the captives free. They delivered nations to me. They made the proud cry. Y'all getting this? I want you to be that special. Jesus, we love you. And before you, Father, we just want to lay down our sexuality and our hearts and our bodies and our spirit and our souls to you. And while we just got our eyes closed, and I do want you to close your eyes just for a moment. If I can see your eyes, I'm going to get right in your face. I want you to close your eyes. If there's something that God has spoke to you while we were talking tonight, I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody about it right now. In my presence, I don't need you to do that. I just want you to lift your hand up and just say, ah, there was something that kind of hit me. I needed, there's something there. Just raise your hand. Just raise it. All right. Okay, just put it down. That's it. We're not going to embarrass you. Lord, you know what these needs are. And because they're pure inside, that DNA of the Spirit of God is so pure inside, it's rising up, and it wants to claim all of who we are. I thank you that you convict us and love us because it means you want something from us so desperately. Lord, there are people that will only be saved through these voices and these hands that are before me. The crowns that you have placed for their life 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now are theirs if they're just obedient. Lord, I know you smile in this group. I pray that you bless them, bless David and the group that are traveling, that your anointing falls on them. And Lord Jesus, we just want to be living sacrifices.
spirit, soul, body, sex, finances, friends, future partners, all of it. Just lay it down to me. Because anything you manage, you manage well. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.